It's Patrick with the Film Editing Podcast at www.filmediting.com. And I'm here at my home studio. Uh, and we're going to be talking today with Ivan Ladozinski, and he's an editor and uh, currently is working on Survivor. And he's worked on Survivor since the beginning of the show, correct? Yep, that's right. And also has cut a bunch of features and some TV stuff. And uh, welcome, Ivan. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Uh, where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, Marin County, just 20 miles north of San Francisco, pretty much. I was born in Pennsylvania, but grew up in the Bay Area. And then uh, I've been here in, L- in L.A. since 1973. So I've been here most of the time. Did you go to school here or did you go to school? Yeah, I went to high school. High school. Junior started ninth grade here in L.A. And then uh, high school and uh, went to a JC for a couple of years, Pierce College, and then hung out at UCLA for a while. And then studied some music after that. I floated all over the place. Wow. Editing was not my uh, goal at all. What did you first want to start doing? Uh, marine biology. Marine biology. I was a science major in... Uh, in high school, was part of the Marine Biology Club, all those kind of things. I was turned on by all the Jacques Cousteau uh, <laughs> shows on television. That's what I wanted to do. Um, and then about uh, two years into college, uh, the chemistry and the math started taking a toll on me. And uh, I was actually actually stronger at uh, writing and so forth and got into uh, some radio and television production instead. <laughs> <laughs> so how did that, how did that happen? What what uh, what opportunities opened up for you? you oh, I just I just switched majors. I took some courses in oh, okay. bro- broadcast journalism and radio production, uh, where I where I was uh, producing and writing, you know, uh, uh, spots for the college radio station. Very little small closet of a radio station <laughs> at Pierce College, and uh, and did you know voices and sound effects and edited them all and all that kind of stuff. Something that I did actually when I was a little kid. Anyway, I was editing came to me as a, as a kid. I used to make cassette tapes and little productions and stuff when I was oh. you know, 10 years old, 12 years old, that kind of thing. Super 8 movies when I was in junior high school, <laughs> high school with a bunch of like-minded friends. Uh, always had it in me, never thought one made a living doing that kind of thing. So I thought <laughs> sciences and then went to UCLA and studied some literature. Um, and then I studied uh, music for three years and I sang in a, in a jazz group for three years and recorded, you know, albums with Rosemary Clooney and went on the road and wow. did, did things like that. The whole time I was messing around in school, I worked for a uh, small special effects studio in Northridge, California called Calico Creations. Mm-hmm. And uh, they a uh, lot of stop motion camera work and everything else. And they did a lot of commercials and broadcast promotion and things like that. And that was my actual film school. While I was going off into the world studying all these other things, I was actually working on the craft of editing and so forth at this studio for almost nine years the whole time I was going to school. What did they do that? Sounds really familiar, that Calico Studios. They did, They did. Um, like I said, all kinds of uh, commercials. They did a lot of uh, open show titles, like for the Mike Douglas show, oh, the John Davidson yeah. show, Eye on Hollywood, Eye on L.A., things like that. Um, and then eventually they, they uh, morphed into more of an animation studio and were doing uh, animated television work which uh, for an editor is not all that exciting. Um, so near the end, the last two years, I was going a little crazy. And then an old friend of mine, who I used to make Super 8 films with, also had cut a couple things for him in college, asked me if I would be willing to do his first full-length independent feature, 35 millimeter. Uh, I'd have to quit my job. And I said, okay, <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready to go. And uh, he said, of course, everything that we pay will be deferred which for anyone who doesn't know what that means, means for free, <laughs> slave labor. 
And it was, uh, yeah, it was a movie that actually took almost two years to make. Wow. What was the name of that movie? It was called Galaxies Are Colliding. It's uh, a little little film you can find on a video shelf there uh, starring uh, Dwyer Brown and Kelsey Grammer. Uh, Kelsey Grammer. Kelsey me. Grammer. Yeah. And what year was that? That was, uh, we started We started shooting in the uh, summer of 90, and we had an answer print in uh, February of 92. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So that was, uh, that was my... Uh, leap into the deep end as i say it was it was uh 35 millimeter cut it uh 60 percent on a upright moviola cut the other 40 percent <laughs> on a uh a cam and the reason there was a disparity there is with the, the motion picture ran out of money after we finished about <laughs> they shot about 60 percent of the film and ran out of money so we cut as many of the scenes as we could we cut a trailer uh and then they went to seek out uh more funding so we all had to go you know, get jobs, find things. I was an assistant editor on an animated feature called uh, Roger, uh, Rover Dangerfield for Warner Brothers and did that for about five months until they got the money. We came back, finished the film, did all our post-production in uh, Toronto, Canada. Uh, and it was a fun film for me because it was I was the editor. I was the post-production supervisor, the music editor. Everything. Uh, yeah. Everything. And, and I learned, I really learned how to make a movie by spending two years of my life on that movie for free. So it was, you know, I, I think I got my money back in a lot of ways. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> You've worked on a lot of independent features early on. The Prophecy 2 was one of the features you did with, uh, yes, yeah, with, with Christopher Walken. Yes. I've always wanted to, like, cut scenes with Christopher Walken. <laughs> is What is Christopher Walken? What do Christopher Walken dailies look like? Are they just – are is he pretty to, by the script, or does he just go off on – no, he's he he uh, at least on Prophecy too. I can't speak for anything else, but um, I wish I would have cut him in True Romance. I loved yeah. him in that sequence. But um, no, he's uh, he's a he's a consummate professional. Shows up on time, reads his line, gets in and out as uh, as quick as he can. Um, it was a lot of fun for me to you know cut him because I've admired him like everybody else does for a long time. Um, Prophecy too. I think he, uh, no pun intended, but I think he walked through that movie a little bit and uh, <laughs> got his paycheck and went home, you know. <laughs> the first prophecy I actually liked. That was I thought the film was good and then as as most uh uh sequels go, you know, a lot of a lot of things got pulled under uh the uh producers and directors there by Miramax at the time. So that was a that was a fun little horror movie. It's a horror movie in many different ways. <laughs> the other the other thing that you did that I really loved was action. I love that TV series. I always thought that should have been bigger than it was, but I understand why it didn't quite catch on because it was on. Was it NBC? It was on. It was on. It was on uh, Fox. Actually, it was on Fox. Yeah. And I just thought I saw it and I laughed at it, but I thought, you know what, Middle America is not going to get it. That's what happened. Did, I think. I think what 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 really happened. I I we've always said um, that it should have been on HBO. If it was on H, on HBO, it wouldn't have had to have been uh, so censored. It's actually very censored for Fox. Was it supposed to originally be on HBO? Or? They they had toyed with the idea, but Joel Silver was the executive producer mm-hmm. on it. Chris Thompson was the creator and another executive producer on it. And they they wanted network money. If anyone mm-hmm. wants to know the behind, really the behind the scenes um, story about action, it just came out actually on DVD oh, really? this year, uh, uncensored, uncensored only only. Uh, meaning that uh, the beeps have been taken out. So you can hear all the bad words, but it still was cut for network. So it's a lot of, a lot of uh, some of Jay Moore's rantings and so forth, which were originally very hilarious and, and darker <laughs> than the show actually was at times, uh, were not, were not uh, 
We're not kept. But the producers themselves uh, tell you why the show failed on the DVD, on the ancillary oh, material. Really? You can hear it right from Chris Thompson and Joel Silver's mouth, and they'll tell you why, <laughs> uh, because they, they, they were greedy. <laughs> I think Chris Thompson said the reason the, 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 uh, the show failed is because he loves uh, fast cars and whores, <laughs> and he needs a lot of money for that, so he went with the network money and... <laughs> And uh, yeah, we always scream. This should be on HBO. Come on, yeah, we would have been like you had uh, you had said. Maybe it would have been the yeah. uh, the entourage of its time. Maybe it would have. Absolutely. I think. So I think anyway, it yeah, I enjoyed that. That was one of my favorite shows to work on. Actually, that's funny. I had a listener question from uh, Digger Story. It's a podcast. Um, it's actually a really cute podcast. If you want to listen to a family storytelling podcast uh, out there, you can go to diggerstory.com. But mm-hmm. uh, they wanted to know what the worst and best moments in your professional life to date have been it's a tough question the worst and the best the worst and the best I, I think they were trying to make you cry i think they were hoping that would be like barbara walter's moment <laughs> uh gee well the best uh the best moments i don't know well the best moment i seriously action was one of my favorite shows to work on mm-hmm. um it was it was great writing it was it was funny it was dark um, I like black satire a lot. I think I got the the job when I interviewed because I told them how much I loved Network and Doctor Strange Love and all that jazz. And um, I was I always wanted to cut something with uh, a bit of a mean spirit to it. And I couldn't believe they were making it for television, but they did. And so it was a blast. And every day, every day, looking at the dailies, you'd just be laughing at the raw dailies in your chair. And it was it was a joy to work on. Um, the worst day, the worst days in editing. I can't. Uh, I can't remember. I think the only thing that I, I I worked with a director once who would snap his fingers behind my head while I was trying to cut. <laughs> and I always told him he was uh, 18 frames off every time. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't work that way. That's funny. <laughs> and I didn't. That's <laughs> we funny. finished the film, but I, I couldn't work with him anymore. <laughs> I had a bad... Uh, the, the worst experience I had was... Uh, I was assisting on a TV movie, and it was on a moviola show, so it was all being cut on the moviola. In case you don't know, the way moviolas are organized, are, the scenes are rolled up uh, into little – each little shot is rolled up into a roll on it, on itself, kind of a little soft core. And so the editor had called for the next scene, and so it was on the rack above my bench, and I just grabbed them all uh, and just held them together thinking they would stay side by side together as I walked over and put them on his bench <laughs> – and I put him on the bench, and right as I got to his his rack, the middle one dropped out. Boom! Knocked his coffee over. He's got the cut work picture on the bench, and he's just pulling it up, w- wiping the coffee away, the pushing the rolls away. And I wind up get actually wet, only getting one roll dunked. Yes. And it was actually salvageable, so I felt a little better about I it. I actually have two funny stories. I have two funny stories. Oh, you cool. can edit them as you will. <laughs> um, the first one actually was Prophecy Two. Uh, I came on actually kind of as a film doctor on that film. Uh, Chris Sabelli, who was a really good editor at the time, uh, cut uh, you know probably about seventy percent of the of the film. I cut a lot of remaining scenes that hadn't been put together, and then had to do a redo of the film, basically because um, the Weinstein's, Bob Weinstein specifically, who was running the Dimension division of Miramax, uh, wasn't happy with the film. So I did a whole new pass, recut everything, had, did different things with the music, changed certain scenes stylistically and everything else. And the notes that we got at the, at the end of that cut were from Miramax. 
love the movie, works for us for the first time, lose Real Seven. <laughs> now, if anyone doesn't know what Real Seven is, a reel generally is about 10 minutes worth of the film. And this particular 10 minutes was a crucial part of the story. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's seen Prophecy 2, but basically a woman has been impregnated by an angel and is, is having labor pains and is going to give, give birth to this quasi-half-angel, half-human uh, uh, child. And it's the journey that the angel and her take from, from the time they uh, escape uh, you know, uh, a police prison cell to finding Eden on Earth. That entire 10 minutes was removed. It was going to be the effects-heavy reel of the movie, and the Weinsteins didn't want to pay for the effects. <laughs> so uh, what I was told was, uh, well, guys, I've already cut the movie down to about 85 minutes. If we lose reel seven, we're not going to have a feature-length film. They tell me, Ivan, remember all those pregnant pauses, those spaces that you thought were more effective and so forth that we made you cut out, put them all back in. And then we'll, then we'll put a seven-minute end title crawl on the movie. We'll be backed up to 85 minutes, and we'll be fine. That, that, that told me a lot about the movie business. And they were right, because all they had to do was put Chris Walken's face on the video box, and it still made millions of dollars. They made their profits, and they didn't care what and happened no in the movie. Seven. And, you know, you work, you, know, you work all those hours and all those weeks on a movie, and you get a note like that, and it, it, it hurts a little bit. You know? Oh, my God. And the only other disaster I had uh, was, a, was an assistant editor who worked for me. I was working on a little feature for HBO, and um, I came on a, uh, I believe it was a Friday morning, and my assistant, I don't know how she did it, she inadvertently had blown all the media off the drives. Oh, no. She looked at me and she says, I get so stupid after sex. <laughs> and I said, well, the next 48 hours, you're not going to have any sex. You're going to stay here. You're going to redidge every single frame of media. Uh, you know, we'll send your sandwiches in, whatever. You're not going to sleep. And uh, actually, by Monday, the whole show was back in and we were okay. And I didn't fire because she was a nice person. So scared the hell out of me, though. Really scared the hell out of me there for, uh, for a weekend. She gets that way after sex. Was she having sex in the cutting room before you got there? I don't no, understand. no. It's good. <laughs> yeah. Better not have. <laughs> Better not have. Before we get into Survivor, you've cut a lot of narrative features and narrative television. Mm -hmm. Going on to cut something in the reality genre like Survivor, is there a difference for you when you when you transition from that to to a, a show like Survivor? For me personally, no. There really wasn't. Um, to me, Survivor was... They called it, uh, they wanted to call it uh, Dramality, which was basically, you know, it's not a documentary. It's, it's, it is reality, but we, we hyper-realize it. So you basically do the same things that you do cutting a movie. You know, you go ahead and you, you find uh, the best performances, the best moments that these people have on the island. You, you score the picture with music. You do all of those things to make the most entertaining, the most dramatic, the most humorous uh, scenes that you can. And so, to me, there was no difference uh, whatsoever from making a film. Um, the editors on Survivor were allowed to be uh, quite autonomous in the beginning because there was no style to the show. It hadn't been invented yet. They had, they had shot a show, but they didn't quite know what they had. And so we were, we were all there to kind of read the hieroglyphics, if you will, and you know, make the most entertaining 
you know, one hour of television that we could. So uh, we were allowed to do that, and you know, it became what it what it became. It really, I think, was the the blueprint. I mean, it really started a whole push with reality television. After the first Survivor, everyone had a show. Everyone wanted to have a reality show. How did Survivor come your way? What uh, what were you working on before that, and how did it how did it come before? Actually, you? It, it came my way. Um, the other editor on Action, a guy by the name of John Braun, Jonathan Braun. Um, got onto Survivor and recommended me. He cool. we we got to know each other, we liked each other on action, recommended me and uh told me about this crazy show about uh sixteen people on an island. Uh last one there wins a million. I went, what kind of show? What are you talking about? I want nothing to do with it. And I thought I was gonna be the last one hired, first one fired. You know, about three or four weeks I was gonna help him out on something and go away. And I'm still there. <laughs> and how many years later is that? It's been six years and 12 seasons. We're, we're, wow. we're in the middle, just starting cutting our 13th season right now. Wow. When the show first started, they brought editors on location. Yes. And the first one was in? Borneo. Borneo. Yeah. You weren't there for that? No, I, I came on the show when, uh, when it came back to Los Angeles. Tell us a little bit about, about being on location in Australia. It's uh, surreal. I mean, the first time you go out, it's surreal. You don't know what to expect. And... Uh, it's amazing. Um, basically, a, a crew's about 300 people. And that's, that's camera people, producers, editors, art department, production people, um, uh, you, you name it. It's about 300 people. A 300-person tent city has to be made in the middle of nowhere, in Australia, in the middle of the outback. It was the rainy season. Um, you need generators for, for all your power, for electricity. Plumbing has to be created. Um, you know, your water, your showers, your toilets, your all that kind of stuff, um, satellite phones. Um, there were game rooms. Um, there were, uh, there was a bar, um, that we Very would all important. use in the evenings. <laughs> yes. Um, big, you know, catering food. Australia was great because we had the, the people actually catered our, our show had uh, done all the catering on the matrix and a lot of other Australian, uh, productions and stuff. So we had good food, uh, and so on. And we slept in tents and you had to watch out for, you know, the poisonous spiders and the snakes and, and uh, cane toads and things like that. Um, there were crocs in the river, but we'd we'd kayak down them anyway, and uh, <laughs> it was really exhilarating. And working with the Australians and everything else was fantastic. It's an experience I'll never forget. We were out there for about six weeks. That actually answered one of my questions. Tyler wanted to know uh, how many people it takes to make the show. You said about three hundred people. Three hundred people. Um, <laughs> the only difference when we were in Africa the season after that was it was the same three hundred people. We had about 135 armed men who were uh, guarding us in Africa who had the camp right next to us, not to uh, protect us from wild animals so much, but from uh, Somali armed militia. We were near the Somali border, and uh, every once in a while people are kidnapped and shot and so on and so forth. So Mark Burnett and, and uh, Craig Polygen, who was the executive producers on the show then, uh, wanted to make absolutely sure we were, we were safe. So. Were you in Africa for about the same time? Yeah, about six weeks. Nick actually asked this next question. So those of you who don't know, my brother Nick is as an editor as well. A fine editor. He is. A fine editor. Absolutely. He works for Mark Burnett. And he's actually starting with uh, Ivan. I believe he's working on Survivor soon, isn't he? Uh, next week he's going to join next us. Next week yeah. he's moving over to Survivor. We look forward to it. <laughs> in all the seasons of Survivor, uh, which episode are you most proud of? The episode I'm most proud of is Australia, and out of Australia, it was Mike Scoopin getting burned in the fire. <laughs> and I enjoyed that because I got to really produce half of it. Uh, wow. My producer took care of one tribe, and I got to take care of the Kucha tribe. And um, 
basically kind of write and put that whole thing together. And it was cool because we had this emergency. And in a way, it was like we interrupt this reality show for an emergency. Um, and it was it was tricky. But we, you know, I, I suggested that we should have, um, you know, we should see the cameraman come out from behind the trees. We should, you know, he's we had to send a helicopter. Mm. The medics had to come out and help him. And uh, for a very brief moment, you got to break through the fourth wall of Survivor and see what kind of you know, system we had out there to take care of somebody in case they were injured badly. And uh, it was very dramatic. It was very emotional. And uh, that's still, I, th- I still think that's my favorite, favorite episode that I worked on. I remember that. It was really cool. What are the challenges from season to season? It must be much more difficult starting a series the first season than it is three or four seasons in when you kind of have an idea. Absolutely. Of- yeah, for sure. Yeah. Is it, is it challenging from season to season? What, what are the new challenges that come up from season to season? Well, the new challenges, I think, I think the, the new challenges really uh, are on the shoulders of the producers, of Mark and uh, Tom Shelley and uh, Doug McCauley and, and uh, the producers in the field, uh, coming up with some of the new twists, uh, some of the new uh, uh, takes on the show. The show always is a variation on the theme, almost always there's something different. Um, there's something different this season, folks, so stay tuned. But um, it's really, it's really there. Um, I think the, the the biggest trick uh, editorially is not repeating ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, I'm cutting a rainstorm for the seventh time. How do I do it a little differently? How do I do it stylistically differently, and so on? Uh, the the built in benefit is we have a different cast every time, so it's not quite exactly the same anyway. You, sure. you have different people reacting to these possibly similar situations, but in very different ways. So. But it's it's trying not to repeat yourself. I'm always worried about ripping myself off from a past episode. <laughs> um, that's the biggest uh, challenge. Kind of similar to that, I had a question from uh, Nick and Nat. And they wanted to know if Mark Burnett has any plans in doing a couples survivor along that line. Uh, I would have no idea. I have <laughs> no idea what Mark would be thinking. Um, um, I don't get memos. I don't get them. Um, we don't. We 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 almost very rarely know what the show's about until we almost walk into the editing rooms. Um, uh, a couple's a couple's uh, survivor. Not to my knowledge, but I I will recommend it to him and see what they think. I'll pitch one to you too. This is. I think it's gonna be a great idea. I think the hottest movie of the summer is gonna be Snakes in a Plane. It's been the internet buzz is going crazy over it. Yeah, and. What if you did Survivor Snakes in a Plane? Put all the people on a plane, maybe even with Samuel L. Jackson. (laughs) It might work. Survivor Snakes in a Plane. I think you should take it back to him. I'll have to read what Snakes in a Plane's (laughs) about. I don't even know what that movie is. (laughs) I've heard the title in the ether, but I don't know what it's about. It's just Samuel L. Jackson with a bunch of snakes on a plane. That's that's pretty high concept. A friend of mine works on Dog Whisperer, and she told me a term that I, when she told it to me, I went, what? <laughs> and the term was Frankenbites. Yeah. And I'd never heard of this before. And she goes, oh, it's just a reality thing. It's, can you tell us what the term Frankenbites means to a, a reality editor? Well, Frankenbite um, is, a, is a reality term for dialogue editing. That's all it is. Interviews, we don't call them interviews. We call them bites. So once in a while, we have people who don't speak English very well, or they don't quite say something right on mark. Um, and we basically sometimes have to take words from completely different sentences and phrases and try to create a new 
sentence and phrase. <laughs> I don't personally like the practice because it's very difficult to get someone to sound normal like that. I and I tend to like I think I think more character comes out of one of our contestants if you let them speak the way they speak. But that's what a Frankenbite is. It's Frankenstein plus bite <laughs> equals Frankenbite. So many parts from different places create a monster and uh, you get a Frankenbite and that's what that is. That's funny. She also wanted to know if you guys do a lot of that or if you do in your shows if you're doing a lot of that. It's again. It, it, it's it depends on the producer. It depends on the executive producer. Maybe they want something after they've seen a show put together. They want something said that might be very important uh, down the line in the series, and someone just didn't say it or didn't ask the question, and uh, something has to be put in so that uh, that resonates with you down the line in the series. I myself, like I said, I don't care to care to do it. I I, I almost never do it unless I absolutely have to, but. It's very rare for, for, for my shows anyway. So on Survivor, uh, being a reality show, I know the workflow is very different than a feature film. And I haven't done a lot of reality uh, stuff, and a lot of people don't know much about it. Can you tell us a little about the workflow, how many people are involved, uh, what their jobs are in, as far as editorial goes? Yeah, well, let's see. I can, I can do it from the ground up. Um, uh, tapes come into the building. We have uh, people called loggers and transcribers. Um, loggers actually log every single frame of, of, uh, tape that comes in, uh, create sub clips from, from long pieces of tape and identify what they are. You know, someone boiling some water, uh, someone getting bitten by a snake, uh, two people strategizing behind a tree. And, uh, there's tons and tons of footage, um, uh, for the average person who might not know, uh, a regular television drama might have a shooting ratio of five to one. So for every one, you know, every five takes you end up using one of them uh survivors more like a documentary and has uh anywhere between 250 and 300 to one shooting ratio so it's a lot of stuff to look at that's why with the time that we have to deliver a show one editor just can't put it together by himself um so basically we have four teams um four editorial teams um uh, one will do show one somebody else will do show two three four and then those teams do the next four and then the next four. And then everybody kind of pitches in for the finale. Uh, of the four teams, you tend to have two reality editors, one for each tribe, um, two games editors, one or mm-hmm. two, depending if there are one or two games in the show, um, immunity challenges, reward challenges. And then we have a, a guy who is completely dedicated to the tribal councils. Um, of the reality edit, on my, my job is uh, kind of supervising or finishing editor. So um, when the producer comes back from the field, I kind of help him put the whole four-act structure of the show together. He tells me kind of what he likes and what will work and so on. We discuss, we look at footage and so forth and see what will make the strongest show. Um, And then uh, uh, basically everyone puts together um, a pretty tight cut uh, um, for the most part. Uh, and then, uh, the producer and I will look at all the pods in the show or the scenes in the show, um, (laughs) give notes on those guys will correct them. And then, uh, when we're, when we're relatively close and sometimes the show shows can be anywhere from five minutes over length to 20 minutes over length. It's my job to take the whole show at that point and compress it to the exact time, 
uh, for for the air date, which is uh, 43 minutes and 15 seconds. So <laughs> it's up to me to compress things. Sometimes I have to switch shots out. Um, I'm I'm responsible for uh, all the B-roll segues and so forth. Most of them, not all of them, but in between scenes, I have to connect everything and make it flow. That's my that's my job. Do you also do the uh, the online there in in the offices? Yeah, we have a we have a, a an online editor who online's all of our shows, all of the Apprentice shows, the Contender shows, wow. uh, as well. So he's a very busy man as well. Is, are you ever up against the wall where you're right before an air date and you have to get something put together uh, in time? No, I have to say um, the, the first season was a little bit like that because <laughs> uh, the show was being invented just before it aired um, and it was tight. But uh, Jen McClure is a really great post-production supervisor. She has a great schedule. And uh, after we do the online, it's only a video online that we do. We still have to do titling, music, uh, you know, uh, effects and foley for foreign, all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So that we we basically have to have a show locked ten days before the air date, and in those ten days, the mix, titles, uh, color correction, all those things happen. So the next season of Survivor is the thirteenth. Yes, that's right. When does that start? Uh, I don't know when the air date is. I, I don't have uh, my schedule before me, but it airs, uh, I believe, the third Thursday of September, I believe. Okay, but, coming uh, up in September. Double check your TV guide. Is there anything you can tell us about the new season coming up that uh, you're not sworn to secrecy about? Uh, the only thing I can tell you is <laughs> that it's in the Cook Islands, in the South Pacific, off of New Zealand. Cool. And uh, with regards to the uh, twists that we have in the show, I... Uh, I'm sworn to secrecy. <laughs> we'll have to look forward to that. Uh, what shows do you enjoy watching other than Survivor, obviously? <laughs> well, what, I do watch Survivor more than any other show, don't I? <laughs> Five, six days a week. Uh, yeah. Um, actually, I, I, uh, I like a, a lot of shows on HBO. Six Feet Under was one of my favorite shows, and it's mm-hmm. gone. I love The Sopranos. Um, I, uh, what else? Uh, recently, I like Grey's Anatomy. Unfortunately, I don't get to watch a lot of TV because I'm I'm working too much on it. And then I tend to be a nonfiction guy. I really love frontline documentaries a lot on mm, PBS. Mm. Uh, I think some of the best stuff on TV is on is on that. Uh, that's about it. But I love HBO and I, I I like Deadwood once in a while. And you know, again, shows that tend to be a little more movie like and also free from censorship so i can <laughs> i can enjoy the real language of the characters and so forth so i have a hard time with network tv for that very reason actually more and more yeah. on behalf of some of the other editors i know 24 and uh, lost are some of their favorite shows on television the other survivor editors yeah 24 my wife and i love 24 we watch yeah. them all the time what's the future of reality reality tv a lot of people say we're it's oversaturated it's like there's too much reality TV. You know, you heard that for a long time, and eventually it's going to end, and people are going to yeah, get tired of it. And- I I don't think it's ever going to end. I think it's already desaturated. I think I think after Survivor, you had that plethora of you know mutations, and uh, everybody was getting on the bandwagon, etc. Um, I think a lot of them have disappeared. I think I think uh, the stalwarts, the ones that people really like, which are Survivor. Um, you know, Amazing Race, um, uh, a few of the big ones. Apprentice still seems to have a, 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 an okay audience. Um, and Cable is actually doing a lot of interesting reality, I think. There's uh, um, 
uh, Morgan Spurlock, I think is his name. 30 Days. Has 30 Days, which is a really, I just watched it for the first time last night. It's a very interesting reality show. Um, public broadcasting, I think, what, what was the show? Frontier um, Families, I think. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. There's some people doing some very interesting forms of the genre. So I think maybe it'll get, maybe it'll improve. And, um, you know, maybe in, in the case of 30 Days, maybe cover some, um, some important topics. But it's a. I think it's a. I think it's a. It's a genre that's here to stay, just like the soap opera, just like the sitcom, just like any any other genre. And you know, you got five hundred channels, folks, on the TV. You can watch <laughs> anything you want. You know, um, I'm glad so many people still like our show. We're still we're still in the top ten. We were uh, uh, our twelfth season. We were number seven, tied with Lost. So wow. we still have a big following. And thanks all the. Uh, crazy survivor fans out there we love you <laughs> well thanks so much for talking with us. this has been really great hopefully we'll uh we can talk to you again once we find out the uh the twist the big survivor twist this year i'd be glad to thanks to ivan and thanks for everyone out there who listens and i really appreciate your questions your comments keep them coming you can always email me at patrick at film you can also call our question line which is 206-202-AVID Again, that's 206-202-2843. And I ask you to do two things for me. And they both involve going to the filmediting.com podcast page. And there's two links there. The first one is a link to Frapper. And if you haven't done so yet, please put your name on the Frapper map. And what it is basically is a, a map of the world. And you get to put your pin in the map and let us know where you're listening from. Also, if you have a chance, please go to Podcast Alley. It's a new month of August, and the votes get zeroed out again. So I'd love if you could vote for us and help us move up the ranks and get more visible at Podcast Alley. And that's about it. I'll be back soon. Until then, take care, and I'll talk to you later.